Scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6, page 841, if you would like to look in the Pew Bible. Now, Mark, you need to understand, was the very first of the Gospels to be written. So we normally think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, there was no Matthew, Luke, and John when Mark wrote. So Mark writes this. He's writing in Rome to the Roman Christians, the church there in Rome. So he's got a specific target audience that he's addressing. Now, the situation in Rome is something like this. Nero is the Caesar, and Caesar has now just put the Apostle Paul to death, and he has also now put the Apostle Peter to death, and he's instigated a, basically, a countrywide, but really focused in Rome, persecution of the Christians. This is the time when the Christians are being thrown to the lions. And so Mark now, Mark has been the assistant pastor to Peter. Peter's dead. Mark now takes up the responsibility of the church, and he writes this, but he's writing it in order to give encouragement and direction to a persecuted church. So, although Mark knows lots more stories about Jesus, okay? Uh, if you think of the end of the Gospel of John, John says, you know, there were many other things that Jesus did that I could have written to you about. Now, Mark could have written about lots of other things, but he chose these. In other words, he was selective. He selected those things that were a part of Jesus's ministry in order to help the Roman church being persecuted to see their identity with Jesus and Jesus's identity with them in the persecution. And then as a result of that, He's pastoring the church in the direction that he knows that they should go. So that's basically the context here. Um, the church needs comfort, but the church needs encouragement, and that encouragement precisely is that they would continue to be good witnesses to the transforming work of Jesus Christ in the power of the cross, the glory of the resurrection, and that Jesus is Lord. They need to be sharing that across the city of Rome, even in the persecution. So let's pray now. Father, help us as we read. Help us to understand. Help us to apply and to live as faithful followers of Jesus. Give us your Holy Spirit to this end. We pray in Christ's name. We pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Jesus went away from there, that is Capernaum, and came to his hometown, that would be Nazareth, 
and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They were saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Hoses, and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. And he went out and went among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Thus far, the reading and hearing of God's word. The grass withers and the flower of the grass falls to the ground, but the word of the Lord abides forever and ever for our encouragement and our instruction. So the bulletin has a title and it's got a preposition meeting missing. Jesus trains us to witness in a world of rejection. That's what we're looking at in this passage. Jesus is training us. We're in a culture that is greatly rejecting the things of the Lord, and he's training us to individually and sometimes in teams to, to bear our witness in the world around us. The first thing that we can see in the opening verses is that Jesus is exposing his disciples to personal rejection. So he takes them into his hometown and they see what happens to him. Now, undetoured. The second thing you see is in the second half of verse six, very short, very to the point, Jesus immediately went out and began going through all the villages, and he was preaching and teaching in them. In other words, he was giving an example to the disciples of what they should do, even having experienced the personal rejection that he had just gone through. Then the third thing you see is that Jesus is delegating. Jesus is sort of like a good manager. He's delegating. 
and he's delegating to the disciples the responsibility to multiply, to multiply the number of people who are going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to it. Now, again, this has to be taken into the account that this is the persecution that Jesus has endured, and we have to take into account that Mark is writing this to the Roman church that is enduring a tremendous persecution, and, well, you can see the idea here. We have a responsibility today ourselves to bear witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. So we look at this first section, and we see that Jesus is exposing his own disciples to his own rejection when he goes and preaches and teaches um, in his own hometown. Now he goes into the synagogue. He's been there for a few days. He's left Capernaum. He's just raised the Jairus' daughter from the dead. He's just healed the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, these things probably got around pretty quickly. And so now he's about 20 miles away, Nazareth. He goes into his town, stays a few days. The Sabbath comes, he goes to the synagogue and is the ruler, the official at the synagogue, asked Jesus as a guest rabbi to bring the, the lesson that day. So what does Jesus do? He takes a scroll, opens it up, and he reads a portion of the law, the Old Testament part that Moses wrote. And then after he does that, he goes possibly to a different scroll and opens it up, and he reads something from one of the prophets. You can see something that looks very much like our worship service. There's an earlier reading and a later reading, and then there's an exposition. That's what Jesus is doing, and he begins to talk to them. Now, Jesus is talking to them like I would speak to you about your own personal walk with God, personal faith. So he'd be speaking to them, and of course, he knows them, but he has this personal faith in spades, if you will. He's the Son of God, and he knows about faith, and so he is perfectly able to speak to them and to speak directly to their need. And because there is an evident sign here that there isn't faith, he speaks to them about their own need for repentance. You can see that's what he tells the disciples that they're to preach when, when they go out. You need to tell people to repent. Well, if there's something that a preacher can do and feel that he can do it without any consequence, I can tell you, you need to repent. If you are not living in a living relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, you need to repent of that, and you need to put your faith in Christ, and you need to become one of His disciples. Well, Jesus does this. Possibly He took one of the parts of the law that dealt with the sacrifice that said something about if, if this lamb is offered and sacrificed, 
the result of it is that there is reconciliation between God and man. And he might be talking about that in ways that would grip us because he was going to be that lamb. Then he went to one of the prophets that possibly spoke about the indifference of Israel towards the things of God, and he could have spoke on that. And then again, calling them to repent. Well, he does this. But you see what happens then, and you see immediately there's a negative response. They're listening, but they're not hearing Jesus. They're astonished at Jesus. And they use this language here. Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? And we hear these miracles that have been performed at his hands. They can't, they can't understand Jesus. They don't, they don't understand what's happened here. Now, I think that's understandable. So here's a man who for 30 years had lived in this town with these people, and he had functioned as an understudy to his father, Joseph, and he had learned his father, Joseph's trade, and he works with wood, and possibly he is a carpenter. He could have made windows. Possibly he could have made farm tools. He could have done all kinds of things using uh, his hands. Now, the word that is used here for carpenter is a, a, an interesting word, and I think it's worth sharing with you all that the word is technon. Technon. Now, what does that sound like? Well, he's a technician. He's into technology. Jesus is a skilled person, and that's what they remember him as. But all of a sudden, something's happened. And now this man who was as ordinary as anybody in the entire community is now up in front acting like a very well-trained rabbi from Jerusalem. Where did he get this? How did this happen so suddenly? Well, they don't understand that living in their midst for those 30 years was the eternal Son of God in the person of Jesus, and he lived amongst them. He knew them perfectly, but they did not know him. And then the moment arrived in Jesus' life when God the Father said, it is time for you to begin your public ministry. And based on the call of God, Jesus went forth, baptized by John the Baptist, tempted in the wilderness, and begins his ministry of disciple-making and going around demonstrating that he is the Son of God come to earth in order to, to bring peace with God, to atone for sins, and to grant everlasting life. They don't understand any of that. So, not understanding that, in seeing Jesus, the next thing that you see is they go from being confused to being derogatory. So they call him, this is the common carpenter. Then it gets derogatory and debasing. This is the son of Mary. Now to say the son of a woman or the mother and to neglect 
recognizing Joseph is to call his paternity into question. And that's what's being done here. In other words, they are working to put Jesus in his place. So you see this, then we know his brothers, and then it says finally, they took offense at him. That's, that's a very bad thing. They took offense at him. Now, when we see what's happening to Jesus here, and we see how this came so suddenly, I think it helps some of us. So I'm like 22, six months, seven months into being 22. I have been a very wandered away from the church young man since I came back from Marine Corps training. And I've been doing my thing apart from God for about four years. And then all of a sudden, I come in contact with somebody from the church where I grew up, and I'm invited to come to church, and boom, I am hearing the gospel from the pastors. I'm hearing the gospel because we have missionaries there in the church. And in a matter of weeks, maybe a month, I am a believer. I am a Christian. I put my faith in Christ. And oh my, that didn't go down too well at the Big Daddy's Lounge, you know? <laughs> that didn't go, back, go down so well with the boys and girls every night, Friday night, Saturday night. And it really didn't go down too well when I tried to make what had happened to me clear. And basically, I was, that song hit the road, Jack, don't you come back. Well, that's, there you go. Some of you have had that experience. You were a pagan. Now you're a believer. But your friends are still pagan. They don't understand what's happened to you. They didn't understand what happened with Jesus. And as a result of this, they persecuted him. Now, there's family in the church. And this family is incessant in inviting their neighbors and friends to come to the church. And so periodically you look and sure enough, this husband and wife have got another family with them. Don't seem that this church works for those people, not coming back. But this family persists, they have people over to their house and they invite me. And I go, and I get a relationship with these friends and neighbors. And we have special events, and this same family continues to invite these people. We don't see the end result, but we do get some catcalls about the nature of the way we do worship and things like that. It's just not what these people think. But they're unchurched, but this family persisted. That's, I'm just saying to you, go and do likewise. You've got friends like that. Um, there was a young man in 
this man's wife became a Christian. The wife very much wanted the husband to become a Christian. The husband wasn't too sure about all this. But he was in business, and a young businessman in this church began to take this husband to lunch a number of times. Other people praying for him, doing things, and after a month or two, I don't know how long it was, this man becomes a Christian and this man grows as a Christian. And then as this man's become a Christian, what this man does is he begins to take people to lunch and in his business shares faith with these people. And eventually some of these people ask him to come and meet with him, them and explain what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have faith? That's what's happening here. Jesus is exposing his disciples to rejection as he shares the faith. John Mark is exposing the church to Jesus' story that they would continue to share the faith. We're hearing it today in a way that encourages us that we need to share the faith. Well, the second thing happens very quickly. You see it in verse 6. After this, Jesus was going around to all the villages teaching. He's just simply taking the disciples and says, experience rejection, let's go. And so they go left and right, all the villages they travel through. Now, do you have any villages? Do you know some of you go to the gym? Do some of you go either to your own sport events or sport events for your children and grandchildren? That's a different village. Some of you have a job, that's a village. Some of you have social groups that you're involved in, that's a village. Some of you have college groups that you're involved with, that's a village. Some of you have, you, well, you've got all kinds of villages. And these are places where you can go to and simply begin to explain, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is how Jesus changed my life. This is what it means to repent. This is what it means to believe. And he took these disciples with him and they experienced this. But then he did something else. Immediately after this, he had shown them how to do this repeatedly. This is the third time he'd been through these villages. Then he delegates to them. He sends them out by twos. The twos is they're going to be legal witnesses on the basis of every two and three witnesses. Every truth is verified. He's sending them out as his men. They are legally representing Jesus. And he's telling them, if people don't respond, then you are just to move on. Now, when you look at all the language that's here about not having two tunics, just wearing sandals, no money, no nothing. All of that is saying something like this. There is an urgency of sharing the gospel. And Jesus is telling them to leave any hindrances behind so that as they go in pairs, 
to these various villages, and they go in, they share the gospel with these people, they look for response in these people, and then it's time to move on. That's what he's telling them they need to do. Now, I would just say to you, here's this family I mentioned, and they're constantly inviting people. They're not always just, they don't go to just one, they go to another. They don't go to another, they go to another. They keep moving on to different places and inviting people they're connected to to come and hear the gospel preached at their church. And this is what we need to be doing. We need to be following in their footsteps. You see here that they were out they were dealing twice, it says here, with unclean spirits. They're anointing people with oil. Sick people are being healed. In other words, when the gospel comes into a person's life, it doesn't merely touch one aspect of their life, but it transforms the entire person, the entire heart, the entire character of the person, and the person begins to be like Jesus Christ. Here's where the parable of the sower comes in. We read it a moment ago. Some of your friends that you're going to share the gospel with, well, they're going to be like the seed that falls by the pathway. You're going to share the gospel with them. They're going to hear it, reject it, and that's it. You've, you've shared the gospel, and that's what you should have done. Some of the people you're going to share the gospel with are going to be like the, the seed that fell on the rocky places. There seems to be a response. They come to church. They might even join the church. But then very quickly, some of these people are going to fall away. And that's a shame. But they've not really been converted. They just joined the church. The other people, they're going to hear the gospel and in the midst of their lives, there's too much junk. There's no ability in coming to faith in Christ to see other things must, must go. Let me say it this way to you younger people. When I was converted at 22 and a half, I had to change my play. I had to change my playpen. I had to change my play mates. All three of those things had to change for me to grow in Christ. If I would have stayed in the same place with the same people doing the same things, the gospel would have been choked out in my life. And you need to understand, when you come to faith in Christ, you're saying you're leaving the world to identify with the King of Kings, and you give your life to Him. Well, the last thing I want to just say by way of illustration is I was sitting at home in Milledgeville Saturday and the phone rang. A man called. He says, are you John? Are you the PCA pastor? Yes. I'm engaged. Would you counsel me and my fiance? I said, well, sure. He said, her daddy insists that the pastor that counsels us be a PCA pastor. I says, well, that's me. So we started. Hadn't been in the room with him for 20 minutes before 
the young man looked over at me and he says, Pastor John, I just want you to know that Gretchen here is three months pregnant. Well, that gave us a hiccup to talk about the grace of God and to help them to understand that a lot of people find themselves in just this position. And this is a wonderful time to understand the grace of Jesus. I won't go into the whole thing, but in a matter of a few months, a few weeks, we had a wedding. In a few months, we had a baby, and this couple joined the church. Later, they moved to Delaware. Well, about 17 or 18 years ago, I had occasion to be in Delaware. So I was invited to come up to their home. By this time, there are five children. So when I go through the door to sit down to the table, here's what happens. They says, kids, this is Pastor John. Pastor John's the one that married us. Pastor John's the one who led us to become Christians. Pastor John, this is the guy we've talked to you about a lot. I'd become a family hero. <laughs> you can become a family hero, but you've got to go. You have to. I can't tell you what to do, but this passage of Scripture in Jesus tell you as a, as a disciple that every one of us needs to have a fishing pole and every one of us needs to be fishing. Every one of us needs to see our unsaved pe friends as people who are lost and people who need to be found. Let's pray. Father, we ask your mercy upon us that we would understand the greatness of what you have done in our lives in Christ and in the Holy Spirit and in this church, and that in helping us to see this, we would be those people that go forth, even in persecution, to tell the world, our friends, about our Savior. We make our prayer in his name with thanksgiving. Amen.